morning. This is the second of my pre-Pesach shiurim. Um, today we're broadcasting from the shul, and the reason for that is because the upload speed is much faster here. Uh, uh, there's no one at the shul, which is actually a bit miserable. It's very, very sad, and hopefully soon, much sooner than we um, anticipate, all of this will be behind us, we'll be back in the community, we'll be able to uh, be together at the shul, celebrate Yom Tovim at the shul, etc. I also want to take the opportunity um, to offer my condolences to Madeline and her family. Very sadly, her grandmother died over Shabbat from coronavirus, and uh, we wish the family Chaim Aruchim and our mm-hmm. sincerest and deepest condolences. It's such a sad moment. Unfortunately, I've had to deal with um, so much tragic news over the past few days, but again, close to home, Madeline's grandmother. Sadly, no funeral, no shiver, a familiar story by now, but uh, our sympathy to you and your family, and please convey our warmest wishes as a community to them. Uh, We are um, Mm -hmm. dealing with aspects of Pesach, which are extremely important. I want to divide the shir into two today because I want to begin as well talking about the Seder because I think it's extremely important. Those of you uh, who saw my article published last night about the Lubavitcher Rebbe Seder after his wife died, if not, please log on to my website, www.rabbidunner.com, R-A-B-B-I-D-U-N-N-E-R.com, and uh, go on to the library section. It's the latest article, very, very moving story about the Lubavitcher Rebbe Seder the year after and all the years after his wife died until he passed away. Um, but uh, many of us are going to be on our own for Seder, some of us for the first time running our own Seder and a little confused as to what we have to do. There was always somebody else there who knew what they were doing and we may not know what we're doing and therefore I want to just give you some pointers as to what we should do and make sure that the Seder is as meaningful as it can be, whether we are on our own or whether we are uh, with depleted numbers, a small number of people, so at the very least we should be able to run the Seder in an effective and meaningful way. It's going to be memorable. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to be extremely memorable because the Seder this year is going to be like no other year in the past and no other year ahead of us. Nevertheless, let's at least turn it into something meaningful. But before we do that, I want to address some questions which have come up. Uh, um, and thank you to all those who've sent me questions. Uh, first of all, Joanne, you sent me a question about cashering sinks and anything that you kasher. Uh, what what are the rules with kashering it for Pesach? So we have a rule uh, which is called Ben Yoimoy. What that means is that we let something um, lie unused for 24 hours before we do anything which effectively changes its status from one thing to another. So, for example, if you kasher your sink for Pesach. So we spoke last week about uh, boiling water, using the water from the kettle, which is still boiling, pouring it over the sink, and making sure that you get every aspect of the sink, the metal sink, so that it's kosher for Pesach. But before you even do that, you have to make sure that you haven't used the sink for 24 hours. And the reason for that is that uh, there shouldn't be any live or active chomets, sounds ridiculous because chomet isn't active it's not live but nevertheless in halachic terms 
within 24 hours of active use of any um, any uh, um, sink or oven or pot or pan whatever it is that you use whatever it is that you used inside it is considered live until a full 24 hours has passed now after 24 hours you can now kosher this object whatever it is so in the case of a sink or in the case of an oven you can use the various methods that we've already described in the previous shear and I recommend that you listen to that shear so that it can be kosher. That's to deal with the first question. Make sure that full 24 hours has passed before you, uh, you do anything to any object that you want to kosher for Pesach. Um, another question that's been sent in is, is it necessary to have kosher for Pesach toothpaste? It's a good question. So many, many years ago, um, I was with Diane Aaron Troy in London, Diane Chanoch Aaron Troy, and he told me that if you get asked this Shaila in your shul, and this has nothing to do with the crisis that we currently find ourselves in, he says that the bottom line is that there is an ingredient in toothpaste which, in all likelihood, is made from something which is Osur Minhatoira, and that is. I can't remember the name of the actual chemical, but it's something that comes as a byproduct of um, pig. And he said, we don't forbid toothpaste on that basis, even though it's also bahanar, generally speaking, but because it's something that you, you do not ever ingest in terms of eating it, nevertheless, you're allowed to use toothpaste throughout the year. That being the case, if chometz is osur bahanot and it has, has no different status in that respect, why would it be different to use toothpaste on Pesach? Now, I'm not going to suggest to you that I have ever used non-kosher for Pesach toothpaste. That means I always, and Sabine goes to the store and she buys kosher for Passover toothpaste to use on Pesach. However, in the case of great need and you're not able to obtain toothpaste, which has a kosher for Pesach, an OUP, or some other hechsher on it, so that you can use it for Pesach, you can rely on this uh, leniency to use non-kosher for Pesach toothpaste. It's not something that you ingest derech achila in the way of eating, and therefore, if the need arises, you can use such toothpaste for Pesach, and it won't be a problem. However, if it is possible for you to obtain kosher for Pesach toothpaste from a kosher store, along with your kosher order, and it should be delivered to you or you're able to get out to the store and get it, obviously that is preferable. I'm not suggesting to you that this is, uh, you know, of the first line of answer. It's the second line. It's only if, no, uh, if it's totally beyond your means to be able to get a kosher for Pesach toothpaste. Next question. What about koshering glassware? So this is something that also comes up every year and particularly here at the shul where we've made the seder and we have shul glassware that we use and uh, we use it throughout the year but we also want to use it for the seder night at the shul this year obviously we're not having the seder but every year we have 100 150 people come to the seder and we have glassware which belongs to the shul which we obtained whatever however many years ago six seven years ago and we want to be able to use it so you can kosher glassware for Pesach. And we do do it, and we have done it in the past. And in fact, I did it this year, and the way to do it is as follows. Glassware is, um, is mm. something that 
uh, is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. So we've just been dealing with it in Dafyomi. So those of you who are studying Dafyomi, and uh, if you're not on my WhatsApp group, please join it. And at the very least, let's learn a Dafyomi every day. Yesterday's Daf was fascinating, but uh, the previous Daf, two, three Dafim that we did, were dealing with uh, the differences between glass, metal, and earthenware, and the comparisons, their point of uh, cross-reference and the points of difference. And glassware is unique in that it is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. The reason for that, one must presume, is because there was no such thing as glass when the Torah was delivered to the Jews at Mount Sinai 3,331 and a half years ago. But since then we have glassware and Chazal said that glassware in, at some level is the same as metal and at some level is the same as earthenware. But whatever the rules are with regard to glassware are rabbinic in origin, they're not Torah in origin. That being the case, you can kosher, you can make kosher glassware. And the way we do it is as follows. It is a totally smooth, non-absorbent material. So we soak it in water. You find a large receptacle, a bowl or a pot or um, some type of large receptacle which can hold a lot of water and you put the glassware separated from each piece separated from each other you put it you totally submerge it into the water and you do that for three days and every 24 hours you change the water and obviously it has to have been cleaned before and not used for 24 hours mm -hmm. and then after the three-day period you're able to use the glassware, for example, in a non-kosher situation. Um, well, generally speaking, in a non-kosher situation, we allow the use of, use of glassware because uh, it's very rarely used for anything hot and therefore nothing will have left its mark on the glass. But in a non-kosher situation, if you wanted to kosher glassware, you could use this as the method to kosher glassware. In Pesach, the same concept works you can kosher your glassware for Pesach. So if you're at home for the very first time this year, you've not been at home before um, and you are here for the first time for Pesach and you want to use your wine glasses and your goblets and whatever it is that you have, uh, your, uh, your um, glasses or even bowls that you have for Pesach, then you can use the glasses for Pesach as long as you put it through this process of koshering, which is three days in water each 24-hour period in a different um, um, vessel of water. Now, that works for glass. Does it work for Pyrex? What's Pyrex? Pyrex is a particular type of glass that has been manufactured using a particular method that makes it um, able to withstand great heat. So there's a difference of opinion, and here I don't want to be um, too lenient because I know that there are there will be people who say that that's, uh, that uh, Pyrex or any heat resistant glass is not actually glass and the truth is I don't know enough about the chemical makeup of that material to be able to offer you my opinion I would suggest that uh, rather than kosher Pyrex one should try uh, as much as possible to buy new dishes uh, if on Amazon or on one of the websites so that you can use that for Pesach rather than uh, use one which you use during the year because it's used in great heat and it's not clear that it doesn't absorb 
whatever it is that is cooked inside it and therefore it makes it difficult to kasher better not kosher something um, like pyrex or heat resistant glass which is used at extreme temperatures and to buy new material or to just use aluminum containers for Pesach. Next question. Um, if we aren't using our cars, do we have to clean them? Will that be considered selling chomets or burning of, uh, considered um, having uh, got rid of it? If you burn your chomets or you're selling your chomets, does that take care of the car? So the, the answer to that question is a much broader answer than just dealing with cars. How much should we clean our homes for Pesach this year? And I think that we should make every effort in as much as we can to clean as much chomets from our house and not rely on leniencies just because we happen to be at home this year. Uh, and I'm not saying that we have to get on our hands and knees and take a toothpick and a toothbrush and clean every corner and nook and cranny. What I'm saying is if we know that our car is, uh, you know, we've been sitting in our car on journeys and we've eaten chomets products uh, during throughout the year, we should make every effort to clean the car for Pesach. Whether that means we need to vacuum the car or just make sure that there's nothing in the glove compartment or any of the um, side uh, compartments in the doors, whatever it is, we need to make sure that our car is free of chomets. Obviously, we are not professional car cleaners. And there may be remnants of chomets that remain even after we have vacuumed our cars. However, at the very least, we should make an effort, not just with cars. I'll give you another example. We have clothes hanging in our closet, jackets or coats that we use throughout the year that we were wearing in the winter and we bought a cookie or we bought something and it's chomets and it's going to be in our... In a, we have to go through the pockets. We need to make sure that we don't have any chomets in our homes on Pesach if we can avoid having it. Of course we can be mavachal the chomets and bitl chomets works. But part of the preparation for Pesach is the effort that we make to make sure that there is no chomets in our possession. We can't be 100% convinced of it, even if we've made every effort, even if we have been through every pocket. And that is the reason why we do the bitl chomets and we sell our chomets to a Gentile. However, that doesn't free us of our obligation to clean our house of chomets. On the other hand, you don't have to clean areas and parts of our homes which have nothing to do with chomets. If you have a mantelpiece on which you put a lot of photographs of your family and no chomets ever goes on that mantelpiece and it's nowhere near any food, you don't have to dust it down and cover it for Pesach. That's absolutely not necessary. You don't have to go overboard and make sure that every single part of your house is covered with aluminum foil and plastic wrap and who knows what else, because you just want to, you know, feel good about yourself that you've cleaned your home for Pesach. The only areas that need to be checked for Pesach and um, cleansed of chomets for Pesach are places where there is chomets on a regular basis. That is very important to remember. Your car is such a place. The fact is that we use our cars on a daily basis for journeys and we have guests, uh, passengers in our car that use our car and they have food in there. Uh, in their hands and they're eating in the car we should make every effort that we can even if we're not going to use the car over Pesach to try and cleanse our cars for Pesach so to answer that question uh, at the very least make an effort 
to clean your car for Pesach and not sell it um, and to make sure that there's no chametz. Then, when you do the bittel and you do the sale of the chametz, you can include in that anything that may be in your car that's chametz. It's not going to come into your food supply. So you don't have to worry that if you go into your car and there's a microscopic crumb that was left there because six months ago you had a cookie and there's a crumb in, in the uh, fabric of, uh, of the floor material that's going to come onto your shoe, that it's somehow going to come into your food supply and pace. You don't have to worry about that. However, that doesn't mean that you should leave a cookie in your car for Pesach and you're going to find it, you know, in, uh, during the period between Pesach and Shavuos. You're going to say, Oy vai, I found a cookie in my car. What do I have to do? Make sure that you've made the effort to clean your car for Pesach. The next question is, explain the uh, concept or the rules regarding Yom Tov to Shabbos. So, as you know, we're allowed to cook on Yom Tov. There's no problem cooking on Yom Tov. All the rules of Shabbos apply besides for cooking. Why is that? Because at the time of uh, when the Torah was given, at the time of Chazal as well, there was no such thing as refrigeration. And if you, if you didn't cook food fresh, then the food would, you know, it, it wouldn't be good. So uh, Yom Tov is a, um, is, has, does not have any of the restrictions of cooking and baking and doing all the things that require to prepare food that we have on Shabbat. Shabbat, you're not allowed to cook, you're not allowed to light a fire, you're not allowed to do anything on, on Shabbat which involves cooking. On Yom Tov, you're allowed to light a fire. By the way, you're not allowed to strike a match on Shabbat. You light a candle before, sorry, on Yom Tov. You're not, you light a candle before Yom Tov. And from that candle, you transfer flame to wherever it is that you are going to be cooking. Um, or you have to leave a heat source open and on on, Shab- on Yom Tov, for Yom Tov, so that you can cook on Yom Tov for the food that you need on Yom Tov. That being said, you're not allowed to turn it off. Once it's on, you're not allowed to turn it off. So if, for example, you would put a match to a flame on Yom Tov, and then that flame is light, a light. You're not allowed to blow it out, which is what you'd normally do, or, or wave it around so that it goes out. You have to wait until it goes out by itself. Now, you're allowed to cook and bake on Yom Tov. That means that if on Yom Tov you wanted to have um, schnitzel, you could take a frying pan, put it on top of the stove, put oil inside it, and then put the breaded schnitzel inside the frying pan and cook it on Yom Tov. bit strange. But that's what you're allowed to do. And particularly for us in Chutzla Aretz, where we're, go- we're about to have a three-day session, that means we begin Wednesday night, so we have Thursday, we have Friday, and we have Shabbat. It's extremely useful to be able to cook on, on Yom Tov, because otherwise, by the time we get to Shabbat, what we're going to have? It's going to be old food. So, what about cooking from Yom Tov to Shabbat? So we have a rule. You're only allowed to cook on Yom Tov for the day of Yom Tov itself. You're not allowed to cook, make a meal for next week because you're not allowed to prepare. You're not allowed to be thinking on Yom Tov about anything that's happening after Yom Tov. You're meant to be totally focused on Chag Lashem, Chatzi Lashem v'Chatzi Lochem, but it's totally focused on that day. What are you meant to do? If you're in a situation like we're going to be this year, where Friday is the second day of Yom Tov in Chutzla Aretz, and we want to be able to cook 
on Friday so that we can have something on Shabbat. We want to be able to put the chulant on. We want to be able to roast a chicken so we can have Friday night dinner with fresh roast chicken, not chicken that was made three days before. Then you have to do something called an Eruv Tavshilin. I'm going to post it on the Shul website. So if you log in to www.yinbh.org, we are going to have a page which is devoted to Eruv Tavshilin, which we do every single Yom Tov where this is relevant, where we're going to be able to, pro- we will provide you with the full method of Eruv Tavshilin. What does Eruv Tavshilin do? It is a mechanism by which the rabbis enabled people to be able to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos. So usually you're not allowed to prepare from the first day of Yom Tov, let's say, for the second day of Yom Tov. And you're not allowed to prepare for the second, from the second day of Yom Tov for the day after Yom Tov. But here on Shabbat, we're not allowed to cook. We've already had Yom Tov for two days. What are we meant to do? We have to be able to cook for Shabbat. So the rabbis created this um, uh, halachic mechanism called an Eruv, where before Yom Tov comes in, you will have designated two items of food with a bracha and a declaration to say that you are able to prepare from Yom Tov to Shabbat. I'm not going to go into the technicalities, it's not important. All you need to know is that on Erev Yom Tov, on Wednesday, you should take two items. I'm going to tell you what to take because I'm going to make it really simple for you. Take an egg and take a matzah and put them in a bag in the fridge and before you do that hold them in front of you take the Haggadah and it should be in the Haggadah it's definitely in the Machsa there is a bracha that you have to make about an Eruv and a declaration that you need to say it's in Aramaic don't say it in Aramaic because Aramaic is difficult to read say it in English and make sure that you uh, um, that you make this declaration on Wednesday so that you can cook on Friday for Shabbat. That's really, really important. It needs to be a boiled egg. Yes. Oh, I'm being told here by Carly, I'm sure it's a message from Sabine, that it needs to be a boiled egg, not a raw egg. It needs to be a cooked item. A cooked egg and a, and a baked matzah together in a bag. Make the bracha, make the declaration. Now, I want to tell you something. Don't say that I said this, but... In the event that you didn't do it, you forgot, you didn't go onto the website, and even though you listened to the shir and you had very good intentions, and you forgot to make the air of Tafshilin, what should you do? Just remember that Pini had you in mind. So when I make my bracha and declaration on Wednesday afternoon, I will have everybody in mind. That's not, again, it's not a first-line situation. It's not the preferred way of doing it. Don't rely on Pini. But in the event that on Thursday you remember, Oi, I forgot to make the Eruv, what should I do? Don't worry about it. I did have everybody in my community, and I'm not just talking about the community in Beverly Hills, I'm talking about the community all over the world. Everybody who subscribes to me and listens to my Shi'urim, I have you all in mind. And therefore you can rely on that, and if you need to cook on Friday for Shabbat, you can do so. However, please do make a note in your calendar, in your schedule for Wednesday afternoon so that you're going to do the Erev Tavshilin on Erev Shabbos on Friday, which is the second day of Yom Tov, if you live in Chutz Next question. 
So I don't have any more questions that have come in here, but I, do, I know that I have a question which came in on my messenger from Ruthie. Hold on a second. Can I kasha the warming drawer? So many people have in their ovens, they have a warming drawer which is underneath their oven. And the heat is not a full heat, it's just kind of a low heat, a warming heat, which you can, you can put the food in the warming drawer. It's not an oven, it can't bake or cook anything. And um, you put the food in there and the food becomes uh, warm or hot to the type of temperature that you'd like it to be in order to eat it. It's not quite as hot as when you bake it or cook it in the oven or roast it. But it's hot enough and warm enough that it's uh, um, more of a pleasure to eat than if it would be cold. Um, the answer to the question simply is very, very hard to kasher. A warming drawer, unless you're going to take um, a blowtorch to it, which I, hide, I think is highly unlikely, highly unlikely, I don't think that you can kasher a warming drawer for Pesach because it does contain hot food and it's a metal container. It needs to be koshered. It's usually covered in the kind of um, uh, I don't know what to call it, but it's lined with something which isn't the heat resistant type of paint or whatever it is that can resist or be protected if you're going to put a blowtorch to it. Um, it's not good enough to cover it with aluminum foil and therefore I would suggest that you don't rely on any kind of leniency when it comes to using uh, a warming cupboard for Pesach. So just to summarize, unless you're able to kosher the warming drawer with a um, the type of heat uh, that would make render it kosher, for which you would need a blowtorch, don't use the, the warming drawer for Pesach, rather find another way, perhaps use your oven, keep your oven on, or find another way, use a hot plate um, or some other method to keep your food warm for meals that you're going to have on Pesach. Next question. Um, can I use ground meat from the freezer? I can't answer that question in a straightforward manner because I don't know which butcher you buy your meat from and I don't know what they put through their grinding machine. If somebody only puts meat through their grinding machine, doesn't put anything else throughout the year, and there's absolutely zero chance that chomet made its way through the grinding machine uh, throughout the year, then of course you could use ground meat, or what we call in the UK minced meat, for Pesach, even though it wasn't actually uh, used or it wasn't ground up for Pesach use. That being said, I feel uncomfortable just to give a blanket uh, leniency on the basis of a question like that. I think that you need to check with your particular butcher, wherever you bought the ground meat from, even if you bought it three months ago, call up the butcher, whoever it is, it doesn't matter which city you're in, you know who the butcher is, it's just say to them, I know that you didn't um, make this for Pesach, but it's hard for me to get the meat for Pesach, and I've got the ground meat in the freezer, can I use it for Pesach? Is there any chance that Chometz went through the grinding machine and that Chometz made its way into any aspect of the production of this ground meat? If the answer is yes, you can't use it for Pesach. If the answer is no, then in the circumstances we find ourselves in, which are unusual, then you can use it for Pesach. 
Um, that being the case, my suggestion is, if it's at all possible, get yourself ground meat that is kosher for Pesach. Find a butcher who's going to deliver. And I know that many of the butcher stores here in uh, in Los Angeles are delivering meat for Pesach. Or at least you can find um, a team of delivery people who will enable you to obtain kosher for Pesach ground meat. And that's what I think that you should be using for Pesach. Because any type of processing by virtue of the fact that it passes through a machine, the possibility does exist that chomets did creep into the production process, and therefore it's, much, it's preferable not to use it if at all possible. Um, the next question. If I use self-cleaning cycle um, in the oven, how do I kasha the racks that were taken out? So the answer to that question is uh, quite simple, and that is you need to blowtorch those um, oven racks. You're going to say to yourself, I don't have a blowtorch. It's not something that I have around the house. You can order them on Amazon. They are obtainable. And particularly now, every company, I know here in the United States, everybody is, is going online, and you're able to order all of these things for Pesach. I would suggest that you get online today and order yourself a couple of blow torches to be delivered to your house to use to kosher those things such as oven racks i mean i can't think of something which for which that is more relevant than an oven rack and therefore you should get yourself um, a blow torch so that you can and they're not hard to use i use them every year we have an industrial sized mm -hmm. one here at the shul which we're not going to be using this year but i have smaller like a spray can with an attachment at the top and you can easily use it for Pesach just obtain one and use it if you're not sure exactly what to do or how to do it don't be shy to reach out to me privately I'm going to give out my uh, cell number and you can whatsapp me either call me or whatsapp me 310-499-3407 and I'm very happy to tell you what it is that you need to do and help you through the process of blowtorching yes Carly can you blowtorch a barbecue can you blow torch a barbecue? Yes, you can. I do it every single year. One of the meals that we have over Pesach is a barbecue, and I blow torch the barbecue, and it's absolutely possible to do it, and there's no problem whatsoever to use that barbecue on Pesach if that's what you do. So hopefully you can all have a fantastic barbecue on Pesach, having heard uh, that you can blow torch your barbecue once, of course, you've obtained that blow torch from Amazon or wherever else you get it from. Um, I think that's more or less the end of all the questions. I'm going to open up now for questions um, from our online um, viewers. Um, if there's anybody who wants to ask a question, just unmute yourself and I'm happy to answer a question and then we'll start talking about the Seder. Fab, hello. Hi there, Gabriella. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Pinney. Um, okay, going back to your glass cuttering. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to cusher drinking glasses because they're all very easily available. But I was wondering about things like beautiful crystal that we might want to use for our cedar table. Um, or crystal glasses, crystal bowls, uh, those are not usually used at high temperatures, they're only used for cold things. 
Um, now you said that the glass has to be submerged for three days with yes. water change every day. Yes. So whilst I'm changing the water, the item will not be submerged. That's fine. You take okay. totally fine. That's whatever the okay. five ten minutes. That's not a problem. And then twenty four hours after that. So you know what? It's tw it's it's um, thirty six hours. I'm sorry. It's three day three twenty four hour periods. It's it's uh, it's uh, seventy two hours and ten yeah. minutes for each day. So seventy two hours and thirty minutes because it, the item is going to be out of the submerged water for 10 minutes while you change the water so just make sure that each period of time it's it's in for 24 hours hmm? yes from when would be let's say i started at 12 o'clock on the first day at lunch noon time yes so then yes so you take it out the 12 o'clock and then 10 past 12 you put it back in so the following day 10 past 12 you would take it out Four hours of not use is before I start the cushioning. Correct. Right, okay. Next question. Can I cusher my Kenwood, which is the stand mixer, if it has stainless steel bowls? What do you use it for? Is it used with flour? Yes. So I don't think it's possible to to cusher that. Okay. I think it's I think it's just too hard to get to every single nook and cranny inside there to make sure that there's nothing left. Okay, and finally, actually two finals. Uh, number one, the Nespresso machine. Nespresso are very kindly nowadays making kosher la Pesach coffee pods. Um, now my machine is only used for making coffee and I do put, it has a milk section that is a separate unit but part of the machine, the milk goes not through the machine that makes the coffee, it comes out of a separate spout. Is now, it milk is not in essence comates, no. but I will buy kosher Pesach milk. Is it possible for you to run it through a full process without coffee or milk? Yes. So that I would do that after a 24-hour no-use period and make okay. sure that all areas that are used not on Pesach, that means, for example, the, the flat area on which you put the cup is covered. Every aspect of the, any open area of an espresso machine is covered. Put it through okay. a full process of cleansing because it's a steaming and that I don't see any problem with that. I think you can use it if Nespresso has kosher for Pesach pods and you put it through a full steaming on both the milk side and the coffee side and every aspect of the Nespresso machine is covered, you can use it for Pesach. Okay, with only what, running it through only once, like if I do it a few times, that's better. Yes. Excellent, and one last thing, hold on. I'm holding. These are props. This okay. is a very mini blowtorch. Right, excellent. Uh, it is for use with things like creme brulee, etc. Yes, I know what I it is. I have never used it. You... Um, now, according to some authorities, the items to be here, this is what it looks like out of the box. Right. 
Um, do, do the things that I'm using this on have to glow red hot? No. No? No. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Gabriella. Okay. All right, we'll have, um, and uh, the next year will be on Wednesday at 10, our time. I know you're in Israel, but it will be at yeah. the Wednesday at 10, uh, and we'll continue with some of these topics. Rebetson's list as well. Which Rebetson, list is that? Rebetson Sabine Dunner. Okay. excellent, very comprehensive Pesach list for all the viewers and listeners. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Do we have any other questions from our from our viewers? I wanted to ask the height trick trays plastic. Hi, Madeline, and hi, Lily. <laughs> Thank you so much for your kind words earlier. Um, so the height trick tray, the hard plastic. What do I cover that with? The hot tray. No, the high chair oh, needs to be covered. I would cover it with plastic wrap if you have it um, and tape it if it's possible um, because that is something that you use with food all the time but it's you absolutely can cover it, make sure to cover it and then you can use it for Pesach. Uh, Madeline, hello, nice to meet you. Um, sometimes if you have a high chair that is still being made order extra trays from the company so you can check that out and also um, from experience I find that it might be also good to get that hard plastic it's like thicker they sometimes use it for table parts like table coverings uh, so then you know there's like a no vinyl I know what that is yeah yeah that thing Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, Caroline has, has messaged me a question, refrigerators. So refrigerators obviously can never be used with hot food. And uh, therefore, you, don't, you clean them, make sure they're completely clean for Pesach. And then you cover the shelves, try and cover it. You know, my, my mother had this fantastic method. She had um, mats which had holes in them so that the... Cold air can pass its way through the refrigerator, so that was an amazing thing that she came up with uh, all those years ago. Uh, but you, you should certainly cover them, even if you cover it with aluminum foil or something like that. Um, you can use the refrigerator on Pesach. It doesn't have to go through a major cleansing, in this in respect of uh, you know you don't have to bleach the inside of the refrigerator uh, or anything like that. You just have to clean it thoroughly. Make sure you've cleaned it and there's no remnant of any food residue anywhere in the refrigerator cover the shelves and you're good to go kosher for passover milk kosher for passover milk okay this is a big question which we have every year i remember growing up that um we always had uh, um of yisrael milk at home uh, and when it came to pesach suddenly there was the of yisrael milk didn't have the regular heksha that we were used to on it it had the heksha of the London based in so the regular people from from the other community that I didn't belong to we didn't belong to used to have the regular milk because they relied on the fact that the government regulations forbade any kind of milk to be called milk unless it was cow's milk uh, and therefore people could have could assume halachically, halachically that any milk that they had 
which was regular milk, was cow's milk, and they didn't need special Shemira on it. However, when it comes to Pesach, we're extremely fussy because we don't know what's going to get into the milk supply. And therefore, the possibility is that the milk that you're going to have, whoever did the milking, is obviously not fussy about chametz. They're making sure that it's cow's milk, but they're not making sure that it's not chametz. And therefore, we should have Chol of Yisrael milk, not because we need Chol of Yisrael milk, but because we need kosher for Pesach milk. That being the case, um, we used to have uh, kosher for Pesach milk on Pesach, which had both hechshers, either the hechsher of the London Beisdin or the hechsher of the Kadassia, which was the community I came from. Um, this year might be very hard. We may have to rely on a leniency. Um, we may have to rely on the fact that uh, the, the milk that we're getting is unlikely to have been contaminated by chametz. I'm hoping, and we're all hoping, that in the next you know week or so, everything will become clear and the milk supply will be available. It's obviously not a problem in Israel for Gabriella and anybody who lives there, but it is a problem for us in the United States or those who live in the UK who, who are going to be watching or listening to this, uh, that um, the milk may just not be available. If you need milk, and we all need milk, milk is an extremely important um, uh, food product that uh, our families need. In the event that there's literally no availability of Cholov Yisrael milk for Pesach, I think we can rely on the fact that it's not Chometz and we can have it on Pesach. But it's extremely unlikely, and I think that we should make every effort if we live in the United States or anywhere else in the world, to obtain Cholab Yisrael milk for Pesach, because this is a minag, this is a custom that we have all taken on for many hundreds of years, that the milk that we have on Pesach has to be, have been supervised by a Jewish person to make sure that no chametz made its way into the supply of the milk. So, um, to answer that question, I think it's important that if we can at all, in our Pesach shopping, however limited it's going to be, obtain kosher for Pesach milk at any point between now and Pesach. And whenever that is, if we need to uh, freeze it, freeze it, but make sure that you get hold of Chol of Yisrael milk for Pesach. Eggs from any store? What about organic eggs or brown eggs? No problem with eggs. I don't recommend brown eggs because um, if you get brown eggs, they're more likely to have blood spots. So I would recommend that you get white eggs and whatever eggs you get, make sure to check them that just because they are kosher for Pesach doesn't mean that they're kosher. And if they have a blood spot in, you have to open them up and make sure that they don't. And if they do, you have to discard them. But uh, you have, there's no restriction on getting eggs from wherever you get them, any store that supplies eggs. Eggs are a sealed product and you are, you are always going to peel them before you use them. And on that basis, you can use any egg from any store. Once again, white eggs for Jewish people who are fussy about kosher are much better than brown eggs. Are there any other questions? Uh, do we have to be concerned about whether the eggs were laid pre-Pesach because they often feed the chickens on Chomet's food? No. Or is that... The only restriction... I, I come from a Yeki family, as you know, Gabriella. Um, and the only restriction I know about chickens on Pesach is we never had pipics on Pesach. That's chicken I... stomachs. 
because because they might have been fed chomets before Pesach, and then you put that into your soup or whatever it is. We never had pipics on Pesach, but okay. But you have eggs which are fresh. Like if I had chickens, I could go. Yes, absolutely, no issue whatsoever. You're allowed to have okay. eggs. Eggs even if a day before they were given the chomets, that chomets doesn't find its way into the egg. Thank you. Okay, no problem. Let's talk a little bit about the Seder. Just for five or ten minutes, we're going to begin this discussion about Seder night. Because a lot of people want to make sure that they're going to have a meaningful Seder, especially in the circumstances we find ourselves in. There is a mitzvah say that you need to talk about Yutias Mitzrayim on Pesach. It's not about the rituals of going through the Haggadah and making sure that every aspect of the Haggadah is something that you've done and I did it and this is the way I did it and my father did it, my grand. no, no. The point is, you need to talk about Yutias Mitzrayim. You need to engage your children. You need to engage your children about Egypt, about Pesach, about the origins of the Jewish nation, about how we emerged out of Egypt against all the odds with Moses leading us out and seven weeks later we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai um, and we uh, um, we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and we received the Torah. So now, th- there are aspects of the Seder which are extremely important. The first is Matzah. So the, one of the questions I've been asked is, can we use non-Shmura Matzah for Pesach? I don't know what the situation is elsewhere in the world, but there is a fear here in uh, Los Angeles and perhaps across the United States that we're not going to have sufficient supply of shmura matzah for Pesach because of the restrictions of travel and um, generally of being able to get things from one area to another. I know that we had some supply here at the shul which we sold out very quickly. We were going to use it for our communal seder but uh, we offered it up to the membership and it's, uh, it's gone already. I don't know what's going on in the stores. I happen to have bought some already a month ago. I saw it in uh, Costco or wherever, one of the stores, and we bought it, and we have it. But there's some people out there, for sure, who don't have Shmura Matzah, but it's going to be quite easy for them to get regular machine-baked Matzah for Pesach. Okay, so the answer is, and this is from Rabbi Shechter, that if you want to use Matzah at the Seder, and it's not Shmura Matzah, by the way, I grew up only having machine matzah at the Seder because as far as my grandfather was concerned, and he used to go and bake matzah every year in Israel, um, he would spend three, four days in the matzah factory and they would create matzah, for, bake matzah for the London community. He felt that machine matzah was more kosher than shvura matzah because there's absolutely no chance of it ever becoming contaminated and becoming chomets. And therefore, he recommended using machine matzah even more than using shmura matzah. I've adopted the um, a new custom that my grandfather didn't have, which is I do use shmura matzah at Seder night because I believe that, uh, you know, at least the places that I get it from are extremely careful to ensure that they cannot become chomets. I rely on that and I think that it's a more genuine way of commemorating the matzah that we had when we emerged out of Egypt at the Exodus. Nevertheless, this year may be difficult. That being the case, so shmura matzah, what is shmura matzah? Shmura matzah is matzah that's made from flour, which was um, guarded, as it were. It was um, confined to a place where it could be watched 
and and uh, that nothing could come into contact with it from the time that it was harvested the wheat was harvested all the way through to the baking process so um, most matzah that you get machine matzah is not shmura matzah it's matzah from flour which isn't chametz and obviously you know the flour that is used is kosher for pesach but it's not shmura from the time of harvesting can you use that for pesach you're only allowed to use matzah for pesach uh, for the seder night specifically for seder night that's what that's when you have to eat matzah by the way you don't have to eat matzah for the rest of pesach you only have to eat matzah at seder night and if you have yom Tov meals and you decide that you uh, don't want to eat matzah you don't have to somebody has to make a brocha but you don't have to eat the matzah there's no obligation to eat matzah you're just not allowed to have chometz on pesach shmura matzah is what we would have at seder night because that is reminiscent of the actual event that took place at uh, at the exodus itself but if you don't have shmura matzah and the matzah that was made is just made not being chometz are you allowed to have it or is it proper to have it at seder night so rabbi shechter said that all the matzah that is made by american matzah manufacturers is made um, bearing in mind the mitzvah of having matzah on seder night because they knew that many of their customers would not be buying shmura matzah and therefore they had in mind l'shem matzah's mitzvah whenever whenever any of the manufacturing processes began somebody would be there the mashkiach would be there and they would say l'shem matzah's mitzvah and therefore even a machine baked matzah that isn't shmura one can assume in the united states is has been made for use at the seder and therefore you can use it at the seder now again the same as i said with khal of yisrael matzah make every effort really do your best to find shmura matzah hand bake shmura matzah for pesach even if you only get one box and all of you only have to have a can have a little piece and you're going to have to augment that piece of matzah with some uh, machine baked matzah that you also have at the seder nevertheless make sure if you at all can that you have shmura hand-baked matzah at your seders it is very very important to have shmura matzah if you can if you can find machine baked shmura matzah that's also good by the way that's available in the stores you need to ask the guys at the store and they will tell you there is shmura matzah machine baked shmura matzah that is available but you should make the effort to have shmura baked matzah at the seder it is an important part of commemorating Yetzirah Mitzrayim to know that the matzahs that you are eating on Seder night were baked l'shem matzahs mitzvah for the sake of uh, of the commandment of eating matzah uh, matzahs uh, that are going to be uh, reminiscent of what it means to eat matzahs on Pesach now it's very very important that you uh, prepare everything for the Seder and that you have everything in advance um, I think that I've already discussed this with Madeline and Carly. We're going to post a recipe for charoises mm-hmm. on our website, right? I think that's what we're going to be doing. Um, and so some people may not know how to be, uh, make charoises, and they may have gone to Pesach programs for many years. 
and they just get harosis on their Seder plate. I want to help people and we're going to post that recipe this week. I'm not sure when, but we'll post it and make sure that everybody has it. Um, moror. Moror should be horseradish, grated horseradish. Uh, hard to obtain horseradish, generally speaking. It's not something that's available in the stores. But I think over the next week you'll find that there is horseradish available in the stores. If you get it, you grate it. Now, some people grate it and then they say, oh my gosh, it's not so bitter. It's only bitter if you've just grated it and you've kept it, you know, in in an airtight container in the refrigerator, then it's going to be it's going to be bitter. But by the time you eat it, if you've left it out and open, it may not be bitter. Doesn't matter. It's not important that it should be bitter. It's important that it, it is a bitter herb. And we know that horseradish is a bitter herb. And therefore, if you have horseradish and it turns out that it's not so bitter at Seder night, that's not a problem. Don't worry about that. The other thing is we use romaine lettuce. Uh, romaine lettuce is uh, readily available here in the United States. Um, I'm sure it's available elsewhere in the world. Some people say that you can also use iceberg lettuce. We did used to use that in the UK. Um, if as Whatever lettuce that you can obtain this year, you should use for morrow and it's not a problem. Make sure to check it that it's bug free. But it is um, that those are the two items that we use for morrow. What about um, what about carpas? Carpas is uh, there's various vegetables that we use for carpas. Not all of them may be available this year, and your particular minhag may not be available. So the the range of vegetables used for carpas right at the beginning of the seder that we dip into the salt water. We have radish, we have parsley, we have potato, we have celery. There may be others that I haven't mentioned. So. You know, it may be this year that you're not able to obtain parsley. You may think you're not having a proper seder. I didn't do a proper seder because I didn't have parsley this year. And my minhag is that we can only have parsley. Not a problem. Just use boiled potato. It's totally fine. The point is you have to have a vegetable and dip it into salt water. What that vegetable is, even if it turns out the only vegetable you can find is a carrot, use a carrot. Nobody has the minhag to use a carrot on Pesach. No problem. This year is different. We have circumstances this year that none of us could predict and you need to be able to have karpas on Pesach. Salt water shouldn't be a problem. The vegetable may be a problem. So use whatever karpas comes to your, um, uh, to your seder table and that's not a problem whatsoever. Carly. How do you kosher lettuce? How do you kosher lettuce? So you need to soak the lettuce for probably an hour or two in water to make sure there's no bugs in it. I would check the leaves of the lettuce to make sure that there's no bugs that you can see with the naked eye. Some people want to brush the lettuce or examine it under a light. I think that that's going to be difficult for an ordinary person who's not used to checking lettuce in that way. I think if you soak the lettuce, you put a little bit of soap detergent in the water. It doesn't have to be a lot, but a slight amount. Then the bugs will die and float to the top. If you find that the lettuce that you've bought has a lot of bugs in it, then I would not uh, use that lettuce and try and use another lettuce. Um, again, check every leaf, wash, wash it thoroughly under the shower attachment in your kitchen sink, and then uh, soak it, and that should be sufficient to make sure that there's no bugs in the lettuce and you can use it. And even though lettuce isn't bitter, you can use as much lettuce as you want and dip it into the charosis for morrow, and that's not a problem whatsoever.
you lift to the light the lettuce? Uh, some people do lift up the light uh, the lettuce to the light to see if there's any bugs on it um, I, I'm not going to stretch to that level of stringency I think that you need to check and make sure that there's no bugs on the lettuce that you can spot with the naked eye or that are going to be uh, you know who are going to float to the top of the water if you soak it for some time what about berries and raspberries? Okay, so people ask me about berries and raspberries. I would prefer if people would uh, private message me those kinds of questions because they're not um, specifically relevant to Pesach. I gave my number before. I'll give it again. 310-499-3407. You're welcome to WhatsApp me or uh, call me. Better to message me and I will endeavor to answer you as soon as I can. I'm going to conclude the share here. We've been going for almost an hour and we're going to continue about the Seder and any other questions that come in. I did see that some other questions came in. We don't have time to answer them. I will answer them on Wednesday. The share begins at 10 a.m. Pacific time and I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Hey guys, say hi to the rabbi I work for.